Welcome to Look See, the podcast for anyone and everyone curious about the art, the artists, and the creative community in Richmond and beyond. I'm Paige Goodpasture. Why do people collect art? On the show, we've talked with a lot of artists about why they make art and what that work means to them. But collecting art can also be a creative act when done with thought, curiosity, and passion, and maybe a little bit of obsession thrown in. The New York Times art critic Michael Kimmelman wrote that the consolation of art comes in many forms. For some, it is making. For others, it is having. I've wondered what inspires people to spend time and money filling their homes and sometimes private galleries and even warehouses with works of art. Is it prestige? A desire to be a part of a creative endeavor? An effort to engage with a community of artists? Is it an obsession? An investment? or something else altogether. Today, we're starting an occasional series exploring these questions. This week, we visited the home of Ted Elmore to talk about what inspires him to collect art. Ted is involved in the Richmond community in a lot of different ways. He's leading Bridge Park RBA in an effort to create green space over the James River, and he's a supporter of many creative endeavors around the city. And he's a passionate collector of art, mostly the work of Richmond artists. He told us a little bit about why he collects and about some of the works in his art-filled house. Today I am talking to Ted Elmore. I'm lucky enough to be in Ted's house right now, surrounded by all of the art that he collects. And so I'm looking forward to hearing some of the stories. My first question is, what was the first piece that you bought? The first pieces I bought were from friends, local artists. I loved what they were trying to say about Richmond uh, or about the world in general and just loved having the beauty of both their their art and their energy in my home. And so I think that's really how it got started. And then I started acquiring some art when, when I traveled, which was fun. And that sort of kind of went from there. The pieces that you first bought, you were interested in what the artists who were also friends of yours had to say about Richmond and, and about the world around them. Do you remember what some of those things were that drew you to their work to begin with? Yeah, you know, it's um, something I've done for, for a while, but it really actually accelerated as Richmond began this kind of creative renaissance. You know, I think there's a couple of big things that happened in Richmond. One was the Art 180 exhibit on Monument Avenue, uh, which I think was a, was a bit controversial, but people probably remember is very, very much felt like a moment. Uh, the first street art festival uh, over on the on the canal walk. That was really a time where you said, wow, look at all the different people in this community who are here because of art. And the looks on their faces and the emotion and the conversations that were happening because this live painting was going on uh, in a very beautiful place. And for me, that, that street art festival was really a... Uh, an accelerator for me and and seeing that this is a really important part of Richmond and it's it defines our voice in a big way and there were actually uh, several purchases that came out of relationships that I built at that street art festival partly because I really did feel that this was something really palpable uh, and important happening in Richmond and I really wanted to embrace it. 
Well, and I know, and it is clear from, from even what you're saying now, I know that you are passionate about the city of Richmond and, you know, where you see the city being now, having the potential to go, and particularly as a creative place, not just with the arts, but just creative ways of doing things and and just creative ways of living. And so it sounds like that passion for the city and for kind of where you saw it going was part of the impetus for your beginning to collect the art of of Richmond artists. For sure. I, you know, like I said, I really wanted to, to be a part of that and be, um, responsive to that. And I, you know, I felt that my home where I like to have friends come family and loved ones needed to reflect where we are and where we're going as a, you know, I, I said, I've been saying for a long time, as a lot of people have that the creative culture is really what's driving us forward. There's a lot of things that have grown out of that, but I really believe that that's a, that's a big impetus. And for me, it was important for uh, my home to really reflect that journey that Richmond's on. Did you have art in your house growing up? No, not at all. My parents are um, at times shocked and confused by <laughs> the, uh, the, the quantity or in some, in some instances the content <laughs> of the, uh, the art that now hangs in my um, very intimate spaces. So no, not at all. And I'm not sure exactly where it came from. As I sort of alluded to earlier, it, it's, a, it's influence of a lot of people who I've been lucky to know and uh, lucky to sort of get inside their head and their souls a little bit. And it's really driven the way I look at the world in a big way and things I'm working on throughout the community. And so I think less so growing up, but more so maybe growing into who I am as Richmond does the same thing. And How important are your relationships with the artists to your decision about what to collect? Probably the most important thing by far. And I would really encourage people out there, whenever you have an opportunity to visit a studio or have a beer with an artist and talk about their work, it really changes you. You really latch on to the ideas they're trying to express and it engages your mind in a really important way. And, you know, it's interesting. It's not something that, uh, there was a quote in a magazine a while ago about my art collection that said I was trying to support friends, which to me, it seemed a little bit too charitable. It's a little bit out of, out of context. What they're really doing is supporting me and kind of where my soul and brain and energy leads by the things that they're presenting to the world for, for discussion and, and in a very intimate way for me to, to myself for discussion and reflection and analysis on really a, a daily basis. So yeah, that's an important aspect of of uh, collecting in a, in a big way, I think, is, is knowing exactly what that person is saying or trying to say or is interested in the world is um, a really important aspect of it to me. So do you find yourself being drawn to work? Like, it, is the work that you're drawn to, does it change over time depending on kind of what you need? I mean, it sounds like your collecting is a process of personal growth and sort of figuring out who are you as as an adult who are you in your home in your home city and so do you find yourself either consciously or unconsciously being attracted to artists and work that deal with things that you're dealing with in your own life even if you didn't even really know it yeah definitely i think sort of two ways to answer that one is i try to acquire things that are timeless 
and that have um, a message that, that sometimes changes. You know, there's there's some examples that maybe meant one thing when I first bought it, and now, particularly the the height of all that's going on in the world right now, that they change. Sonia Clark is a really important example to me of of someone where this happened. Afro Caribbean artist who says a lot about identity uh, through race. She explores hair and combs and really is exploring this idea of identity. And we'd been friends for some time and I really thought, wow, you know, Richmond, Virginia, this is a place where this conversation is so important. And I finally called her and said, I, it's just a, I'm feeling this gap in my, in my heart, not having your work in my home. It's just, it's so important like to Richmond. And I think that is a good example to the world in general, but particularly the capital of the Confederacy. That's a good example of a time where I said, where my energy is in this community and where this community is, uh, there is a gap. And I wanted to seek out a way to explore that. And there's a lot of work in the house on the edges of those those issues, but uh, Sonia, is, as, as you know, Paige, is very um, direct about what she's trying to communicate. You know, another another question that I think about with when I think about collecting art is, are you drawn to certain materials or painting, sculpture, drawing? You know, is is there something that you find yourself looking at over and over again when you are looking at art, wherever that might be? You know, there's really a diversity of materials uh, in the art that, that I've collected. You, you probably could see that I do push against a little bit of the idea of sort of oil on canvas or enamel on canvas. And there's a lot of canvas work in the house, but most of the work is of different materials and oftentimes everyday materials, uh, things you find in the everyday world, which gives really a new way to think about those objects in my mind and really by seeing within the art things that I also see outside of art context, it really changes how I view those objects. And so, no, I I would say in a way it's a diversity of materials and a diversity of styles, much more so than it is any particular medium. That makes me think about Matt King's work. And I know he's one of the artists that you are friends with and also collect. and, And he uses that idea of of taking everyday materials and changing the way that they're presented or the way that they're put together. I will never walk past an umbrella bag again (laughs) without seeing it in a different way. Yeah, Yeah, so Matt is a a great example of, of one, someone who I've gotten to know very well and who intellectually has really really changed me a lot and really affected the way I think about the world and and my art collection, whether it's consumerism or everyday objects that are sort of rethought or this idea of the stream of commerce that Matt explores. The the piece to which I'm referring is a, a play on the classic image on the front of the cereal box with the milk pouring into the bowl of cereal. And he sort of plays on this idea of that looking like a this old uh, oil painting of a waterfall. And so, yeah, that, that sort of idea of shifting your focus a little bit and looking at the world is a, a really important part of, of the things that I like to have in my home and like to, to think about it and dream about. So Matt is a, a really great example of that and an excellent artist, an excellent educator, excellent leader in the art community. Of course, he's the chair of the number one sculpture department, shameless plug, <laughs> in the U.S. And that's not public schools, that's all of them. I think Yale is second, maybe. So Matt is, um, I think, really a force, and he is definitely a force in my own collecting, in my own 
life and uh, you know really really owe a lot to him and to visits with him in his studio or just over beers discussing the world from an art perspective as you've grown into this identity as a collector has the way that you think about what you want to collect changed yeah, it, it has. And I will touch on this, this word collector a little bit. Uh, you know, I first had acquired works, as I said, by friends and in traveling. And then when I moved into this particular house, I realized there were a lot of walls to fill. <laughs> and I've, I've always said I've never um, acquired a piece of art to fill a wall. But I also never wanted to fill a wall with something that didn't have any meaning. At some point in that process, people started to throw around this this phrase art collector and uh bev reynolds who you know Paige, who who passed away a couple years ago one of the most beautiful humans i've really ever known and uh who had really a um uh tremendous influence on me you know she she said well an art collector is someone who buys a piece of art without having a place to put it <laughs> which uh i found pretty compelling uh and said, "All right, I'll I'll agree to this, to this uh, to this label." But to answer your question, it has changed, and I have tried to keep the themes that I've developed somewhat haphazardly, somewhat intentionally. I want to keep this going and keep that that same harmony and conversation going. And whether it's a style, a sort of a minimalism style or a conceptual style or the specific themes that drive me in, in my collecting, I do want to have the this house have a unity of message in, in some form. There are definitely threads that I consider uh, when I look at art and I look at where art is in the home as well. But I do think that is something that has evolved. Well, you use the word haphazard, and I wonder if maybe the word intuitive might be a more apt way to describe the way you started collecting maybe first. I don't know. Sometimes I think, you know, you you find yourself drawn to things and you're not really sure why, but something resonates with you. And it's not just art collecting. It could be the books you're reading or the your whatever activities you're engaging in, the things you get involved in. And then as you get deeper and deeper into that, you realize, wait a minute, there is something here that I'm drawn to that I wasn't aware of. And that's kind of part, I, I think, of how art teaches us. And you you also used, I think, the word, um, you know, that it's your support, the art supports you. And maybe you learn something about yourself as these themes come to the surface that sort of were there all along. Yeah, that's definitely true, I, and maybe you're giving me too much credit, but um, <laughs> I, I do think that there are, um, yeah, I love your comment about the things that I'm consuming in terms of books or lectures or films or art or community meetings or this project I'm working on very much does affect what I seek out in artwork. You know, particularly now that and there's a lot of full walls uh, in this in this home, things that I acquire very much need to be responsive to where my head and heart and soul are at that particular moment. Yeah, I think that is is definitely something that, that drives me a little bit. Again, you know, now that you have embraced this identity as an art collector, do you also research? work that you or artists that you potentially want to collect? Yeah, I try to keep up with 
things that are out in the world, whether that's visiting museums or visiting galleries or looking at websites or magazines or books and see what people are talking about. I would say though, I've, I don't, I can't think of a good example where I've said, oh, I saw this artist in a magazine. I want to collect them. It takes a lot more time for me than that. And it, as I mentioned before, needs to be a lot more personal than that. And there's oftentimes, there's actually a couple of fairly new pieces in the house that I'd ruminated on for years that I saw quite a long time ago and they, they sort of stuck with me. And as you mentioned earlier, ended up kind of reflecting something that I'd been thinking about in the world. So why don't we, we walk around and take a look at yeah, cool. a couple of pieces that you've referred to and... Okay, so now we're standing in front of the piece that you talked about that is by Matt King. So, you know, for the radio, tell us what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, well, so I kind of hate that, <laughs> trying to describe what it looks like. You know, it sort of looks like a sunburst, a lot of oranges, a lot of blues, um, and this sort of, sort of spiral image that, that converges in the center. There's a lot of light in the foyer of my home, and it's a mirrored piece. And the, the construction of the piece is, it's mirrored glass with perforated vinyl pieces and painting on the glass. And it creates this image to which I referred earlier of the uh, milk coming into the cereal bowl that tends to appear on the front of the cereal box. So Matt is really interested in this idea of consumerism and the the stream of, of commerce and just uh, visually it has a very visceral effect in this particular spot in the home because as I said particularly during the day it, it reflects a lot of light it reflects a lot of the home around it it reflects the door and it's it's a very powerful it grabs you as soon as you walk in the door day or night and it also kind of bursts out at you yeah I mean I think oftentimes artists will use an aesthetic trick to kind of draw you in and maybe trick isn't the right word but I do think that the aesthetics of a piece do affect your soul and the way you the way you're drawn to something and I think while you're there you're learning something <laughs> somewhat accidentally slash intentionally by the artist so you know to me there's there is very much this circular pattern of this circulation of commerce that I see there's a lot of things kind of collapsing in the middle which makes you think about what is that? Where is that energy kind of flowing in, in terms of our, our particular culture? And so I do think those particular shapes are significant. But at the same time, I do think there's an element of it that's just beautiful while also telling a story. And I think it's also an important point that, you know, as I mentioned before, Matt is a sculptor. And this is, if you, if you saw it, it's a very flat piece, but has elements of a dimension to it. And so a lot of the work in my home really challenges this idea of a painting or is it a painting? Is it a sculpture? Is it a, what is it? Is it an object? And I'm, I'm really interested in always probing that. And so this being a fairly flat piece for, for Matt's work as a sculptor is also significant to me in that it's bridging or um, sort of questioning the, the process or the categorization of, of art. You also mentioned that there are several pieces that you collected a while back that meant one thing to you at that point, and then now when you look at them, you see something else. A good example here, just in the foyer where we are, is this piece by Mel Bachner, who is a very well-known conceptual artist, 
And it also sort of explores this idea of a painting versus a, a sculpture. It has a ton of weight to it. Handmade paper, pieced with the what are letters, which I'll get into in a second, really kind of pushed through the paper. So it has this real kind of power and weight. And yet the letters uh, spell four times in a row the word blah. <laughs> so it says blah, 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 blah. Mel Bachner really questions these language and what are these kind of throwaway phrases that we use in our everyday culture and what is it contributing to the conversation or to the world to say blah 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 or yada 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 or you know these sorts of things that we just say but I think you know particularly in uh, February of, of 2017 I think this one has a a true resonance in the political discourse of of our current society blah 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 so what else would you like to show me? Uh, I mean, this front room is sort of a lot of portraiture in a way. So let's talk about portraiture in a way. And what is that? So, so you say that this front room is a lot of portraiture in a way. And some of the works that I'm looking at are uh, clearly portraiture or figurative at least what does that mean to you when you say portraiture in a way do you see are you interested in how the different ways that artists treat the idea of a portrait yeah I think probably most of the artists or all maybe all of the artists represented in this room wouldn't think of what they had done as a portrait so to speak maybe somewhere inside of them they do but sort of right in front of us very bold is this um piece by Catherine Bernhardt. This is an example of a painting of a magazine ad, and it's a Chanel number no. five ad. So she's, again, sort of like Matt, thinking about the stream of commerce, and um, and so kind of questioning what is beauty, and you know, this being sort of a, a, a beautiful model, but in this particular image, not perfectly clear, even whether it's male or female, or beautiful at all. Sort of right behind me is a, a piece by Ben Durham, who's another artist who has really affected me. This particular piece is based on a silhouette or a portrait of a person. And the the drawing of the, the person's profile is made up of pieces of graffiti. So what he did was he collected graffiti gestures throughout neighborhoods in a particular neighborhood in Richmond, and then put those those gestures within each of the corresponding neighborhoods in the shape of the piece. And it creates the silhouette of a person made up of these scribbly sort of gestures, some of which you can identify and some of which you cannot. And so it talks a little bit about this idea of, gra of graffiti being a, a way to explore your identity, but sort of creating a, an image of a person at the, at the end of the day and sort of what that person's neighborhood may have how that may have affected that particular person. So these two are very extremely different pieces. Radio World can't see, but it's um, quite different in their, both in their messaging and in their presentation. Mm -hmm. Another good example of sort of the, the human figures that exist in this room is, I mentioned Sonia Clark earlier, and these pieces are um, selfies this triptych is called the Warhol in me. And so what she did, she took the colors from the Marilyn Monroe triptych that uh, Andy Warhol did and used those colors to create the, this image of herself. And so to think about this, 
Afro-Caribbean woman and Marilyn Monroe presented in a similar way. And this piece is made of combs, the classic black comb that you had, at least I had in the, the middle school photo day. <laughs> and really, again, exploring what she's interested in, in terms of hair and hair, how hair affects identity and race and a discussion of race. And so, you know, maybe those are three good examples of sort of these human figures that exist in this room and that I think make you think about maybe the actual humans sitting in the room with you. And so, yeah, that this room being sort of a place of more um, intimate conversation, to me, the human element that exists within it, it, it feeds that energy. If you were talking to somebody who was considering starting to collect art, what would you tell them about why you think that having art in your home is important and what does art do for us as individuals? I think the first rule would be to acquire something that really affected you, particularly when I talk to people who are beginning to collect art. It is an instance where uh, it was something they thought about for a long time, maybe saved some money for, maybe uh, had seen a couple times. It really needs to be something that affects you and something that you want to look at and that uh, as we talked about earlier in the conversation, something that changes as you evolve as a person and speaks to you in a different way and continues to affect your view of the world. And, you know, for me, having this art in my home really does in a huge way drive the way I think about this project I'm working on, the way I think about other things happening in Richmond, the way I think about community, the way I think about consumerism, politics, you name it, the art in my home and, and elsewhere really feeds me. Well, thanks for sharing it with me and with listeners. Always enjoy the time, Paige. So take Ted's advice and get out to a gallery or two. When you're there, ask questions about what you see. Go online and read about the artist and then ask more questions. And for sure, have a beer with an artist whenever the opportunity presents itself. The Look See podcast is a production of Look See, the online community for the visual arts in Richmond, Virginia. Check us out at look-c.co. I'm Paige Goodpasture, and thanks for listening.